Well, good morning. By now, you probably realize there's something a little different going on at Bible Fellowship this morning. And um, usually you don't get two preachers up here for the price of one, but today you are. And um, hopefully that doesn't mean it's twice the length of a service, but um, I promise you it's not. Uh, but some, there are some things that are a little bit different today. You notice on the way in, you were handed out a um, brochure, which is probably the, I know it's the first time in the six or seven years I've been here that we've given out a brochure on a Sunday morning. And we're introducing what we are calling a ministry expansion project to Bible Fellowship Church. And we're taking about a, a little mini-series. We're taking five weeks that we're going to preach through a series that we're calling Advancing the Gospel. And in doing so, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And I, I want to say something up front, because a lot of times when we churches talk about money, you see a number of reactions. You see eyes roll like, oh no, here we go. Um, you hear, man, all those churches ever want is our money. And uh, I, I want to just encourage you this way. Um, Jesus talked about money a lot. Um, it's one of the more common things he's talked about in the Bible. And I'm speaking for myself and for Pastor Tom when I say this. We've been negligent at Bible Fellowship Church to not talk about it more than we have. And now we're going to be talking about really what I want to just say is called generosity. Because generosity goes so much further than our finances. Our finances are included, but God wants all of us as disciples in Jesus Christ to live lives that are just overflowing in generosity. And we're going to see that this morning when we jump into it. But um, before I go there, um, just a little bit of a background. I had, it was an interesting week for me. I had a chance to go to a three-day um, conference, the Gospel Coalition Conference. And I went with um, three other of our staff members, um, John and Austin and Jeremy, and we flew there, spent three days together. So I was looking at, this is great, all of us young guys get to hang out together. <laughs> Until my wife told me as I was leaving, she said, do you realize you're kind of like the dad? <laughs> so um, that kind of put me in place. But, you know, we had a great time. And what really struck me was that spending time with these three guys that, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, we didn't have any of them on our staff. And now all of a sudden, God has brought together this staff team that's just been, just been phenomenal. Um, not only these three guys, but um, Jonathan Master joined the church staff in the last year and a half. We've had um, Kim Rhodes joined our children's ministries team in the last like, year and a half, almost two years now. But um, couple of us kind of lingered on from before that. Myself and Tom were the kind of holdovers, and Janet Miller was here. But even in our support ministries at the church, in the last year and a half, God has just brought some wonderful people to our team. And it made me step back because as I looked, and over the years, you know, we've been going through search processes, and there's just been some transitions. And we've always seemed, though, to have a couple vacancies on certain places on the staff and for the size church we became we were very short-staffed and to now all of a sudden have God bring these new people has been just a wonderful blessing in addition to that we've expanded the size of our elder board over the years to the point right now where we just have just a full complement of, of just godly men that are, are leading our church as elders that are a joy to work with and it's made me step back and think, though, as far as stewardship goes, I, I've gone over a number of times to Africa to train pastors in Africa. And when you go over there, you spend eight hours training a room full of guys on a dirt floor with wooden benches, just one bench going across with two pieces of wood holding them up, and they just come there with nothing. Matter of fact, the majority of the pastors that come don't even own Bibles. They don't have them. And, and here we are, and look at what God has given us. And I think when we have to, as a church, step back and say, wow, with everything God's given us, what are we doing with it? Picture God looking down from heaven, and he sees all these churches in Africa and China and India and all these parts of the world where they have so very little. And we have how many staff members that have gone through seminary? And, and yet we need it with the size of our church. But now that we have and we're in this kind of a position, it's our responsibility to step out as good stewards and make a difference on the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to be presenting to you as we talk about this, what we're calling a ministry expansion project. 
Um, we'll unveil this a little bit, but one of the things I want to just point out to us is the fact that when we do a ministry expansion project, it all begins with our mission statement. And the mission statement is what we believe that God has called us to carry out here at Bible Fellowship Church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's His church. And we need to be about His work. And when you look at that mission statement, it says that we are advancing the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're advancing the gospel by making disciples. We could have stopped there, but we added in who make disciples to show the reproductive nature of discipleship. And everything we do at this church, we want to make sure that we are accomplishing the mission that God has called us to. And when we as a leadership do our planning, and we do, we plan throughout the year and we come up with a, you know, what we have is our, our ministry plan and we evaluate it every year and we say, what is it that we need to be focusing on this year to more effectively accomplish the mission that God's called us to? And as we've done that, God has led us to what we're calling today our Advancing the Gospel Ministry Expansion Project as a significant step for Bible Fellowship Church. And the way we came out with this was we realized there are some limiting factors to us being able to accomplish the mission that God's called us to. And right now for us, a lot of them have to do with the facility. Um, you guys are bringing people. You're bringing friends. We don't advertise at Bible Fellowship Church. We, we rely on you guys to bring your friends here. And we are, we're running out of room. And we've looked and identified some of those limiting factors, and I'm going to show you that on a slide. But then we've also recognized some opportunities, some doors that God is opening that we want to be um, responsive to. So you look at the facility limitations we've identified. The nursery space. I had to laugh. Since I created this slide just a week and a half ago, we've already had two babies born. So God is continuing to bring them in, and it's going to keep going. Um, children's classroom space. If you go downstairs, it is amazing what you have to do to navigate those hallways downstairs. And once you see the kids in the classrooms, we have way exceeded the capacity of our classrooms. We have to do something about it. Um, one other thing that really hinders our ministry here, our largest meeting room, other than this room itself here, holds only like 40, 42 people, and they're the portable classrooms. Now, we have the youth ministry, we have kids clubs, we have the Forge, we have groups like Mops that are already exceeding the capacity of the, of the meeting space that we have. So to reach more people for Jesus Christ, that's holding us back. Um, one other, um, you'll laugh at this, and we're calling this relational gathering space, but it's the lobby. Now, what is it like coming in for this service when the other service is still going out? And can you picture if we ever said, you know what, there's a ladies, a women's retreat coming up and you can sign up in the lobby. Where? We can't do it. So what we need, and what really is for me, like what if you're at church on Sunday and somebody trusts Christ as Savior and you want to sit down and talk to them? What if as a ministry team you say, you know what, we need to sit down for 10 minutes. We've got something coming up this week. Or if you meet a family who's brand new and you say, let's grab a cup of coffee. We'd like to get to know you. Where do you do that? And we're very limited on that kind of space. And then behind the scenes, we have office space. Um, just to give you an idea, we have four offices downstairs right now, and we need seven already. So we are in desperate need there. So a lot of this is what I would call infrastructure. And a way to think of this is God has called us to make disciples, not draw a crowd. And if we're going to be effective at making disciples... We need to prepare ourselves as a church, and that's what we've been doing over the last couple of years. As you look at some of the specific positions that we've added to the staff team, when you look at some of the things, especially in John Beagle's area for discipleship and small groups, and, and then one of the nice things is you have Pastor Jeremy is on board. You know, Jeremy is able to dedicate all of his time to the youth ministry. In the past, it was a split position where we had a pastor, was Jason Heim was our pastor of, of youth and worship. Well, we, have, we grew so much over that period of time, and now we have dedicated to a position to say, listen, we need one person to focus on the youth ministry of our church. And these are areas that we can grow and strengthen our disciple-making ability as a church. Um, kingdom opportunities. One of the things that a project like this does is it unites our church around a shared common vision. 
Uh, it also expands our capacity, and this is key, expands our capacity to equip and send for generations. You know what, if we're doing this just because we want a bigger building, shame on us. But if we're doing this because we're going to be teaching children and youth and adults and growing them up in Christ and sending them out into the community and the world as faithful disciples that are advancing the gospel, that's what this building is for. It's for equipping and sending for generations to come all around the world. And we're excited about that. Um, we, uh, the next two are tied together. A couple, about probably a month ago or so, I mentioned that the Evangelical Free Church has asked us to do a uh, church plant in Trenton. They want us to establish a Hispanic church plant over in Trenton. And we're meeting with them now. We're talking about it. We're investigating. We're exploring. But our answer to them was absolutely. We're right on board with you. And so that opportunity is coming up for us as a church. Um, you were here, probably, if, you, if you were here maybe seven weeks ago, we had a pastor from Rwanda, Celestin Musakura, who spoke, president of a ministry called African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. They are training pastors throughout East and Central Africa, about eight nations, and we're going to partner with them um, through these next couple of years to train pastors in Africa. And then we want to continue our partnership, and we're winding this one down as we help to establish an evangelistic community center down in Peru. So these are, um, these are really exciting times for us as a church. So we're introducing to you what we're calling the Advancing the Gospel Ministry Expansion Project. Today, Pastor Tom and I are just coming up, and we're going we're gonna to preach through together um, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Today, we're going to take the first bite out of that. Um, it's great being able to do it together. So, um, but before we get into that, I want to just turn this over to a video to show you a little more about advancing the gospel. The mission statement of Bible Fellowship Church is that we're advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And we are committed to taking the good news of Jesus Christ beyond the walls of this church to reach as many people as we can for Christ. That's one of the reasons that we're calling this ministry project Advancing the Gospel. We're expanding the ministry of this church and expand our ability to make disciples for Jesus Christ. The primary features in this new expansion program are the additional space needed for children and youth. The classroom space, we just have particular rooms that they're filled. We don't have the space or the room for the students to come during the week, it's almost impossible to get a room to do anything in. They're, they're almost always taken. If we had everybody pray for one person that they wanted to bring to this church to hear the gospel, we wouldn't be able to fit them here. In preparation for the future, we, we realize that space is what we really need. They can't do any kind of active learning. We want them up and moving. We want them doing centers. We want them acting out the Bible. And really, there's just not enough space when you have that many children. infrastructure is going to be set in place to expand some of the programs. Space that can be used during the week for Bible studies. People being able to come and hang out and have the relationships and, and do discipleship. In the cafe, there's seating between 30 and 40 people. The large classroom that we're going to gain is going to be, I think, a huge boost for our ministry. That with this new large classroom, we'll be able to reach more students and be able to grow continually in numbers. With a large meeting space, we would have some other options for large group teaching, worship time, and then we'd still have all those classrooms downstairs. In the auditorium, there'll maybe be a seating for another additional 100 people. We trust that the expanded facility will create an extraordinary platform to continue thriving by the Lord's grace for His name's sake and the world's sake.
benefit is for the next generation and our children's children. Our desire is to see families and kids loved, no matter what their age is here at Bible Fellowship. With the growth of the space will come spiritual growth in the children and the students and the young adults. And we just feel like this ministry expansion will allow us to do what we're already doing and do it even better. And when the music fades, I want my love to stay. We really need to expand the ministry space here at this church so we can reach more people with the gospel. As we grow, I believe that God is going to use the kids to reach out to the community. When it comes to church growth, that's really God's business. Our job is to be faithful, to advance the gospel prayerfully and follow scripture. And so we have the potential to be able to make an impact, not just in our church, but in our community and across the world. I think God's going to take our church and us as individuals on a spiritual journey. striving to be on the cutting edge of the Lord's work in world evangelization from right here in our backyard to the uttermost ends of the earth and it's projects like this one that are going to help get us there. It'll be fun to watch how God challenges all of us to go to another level as far as stewardship and generosity and allowing him to work through us to advance his kingdom. I think we're poised to make a significant impact on this community and this world for the gospel, and that we go on this journey together as a church. Okay, well now you got a little bit of a better feel for what it's like, and you know, if you were like us, if you saw your picture up there, every single one of us on staff when we saw the video were like, oh man. <laughs> so you're not alone if you, um, if you had that feeling when you saw that video up there. But one of the things I want to do is I want to walk us through a little bit and say, okay, if we saw these limitations and we see that we need for space, what exactly is the church proposing? Um, I, if you did not get one of the brochures on your way in this morning, and you would like one, because in that brochure, it folds open, and you can see what we're talking about as far as the expanded space. So the ushers right now have brochures. Just put your hands up if you didn't get one on your way in and you'd like one, and we'll be sure that they get one to you. But, um, you know, and I also want to thank... I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be wrapping up the um, service this morning as I talk about the final point. And in it, I'm talking about generosity and the using of gifts. Um, some very gifted individual in our church fa individuals in our church family have helped put together a lot of what you're seeing today. Um, the video that was produced up on the screen, Matt Sella um, is the one who made that video for us. Uh, as well, we have these two pieces, and I'm going to explain this one in a moment, but this is our brochure. Um, these were done by Tracy Stokes and Hannah Leader. So it's our own people that have put together these materials, and um, it's, a, it's a great witness on their part of how they're using their gifts. And uh, our, our church is really blessed to have such really gifted people and individuals. All right, what are we doing here with advancing the gospel? Um, if you look at this, what you'll see, and um, Tom, do you have your pointer? Why don't you hit that screen? I'll hit this one, because the last service I was reminded, Bob, you're pointing on the screen, but we could only see the one. Um, this part in the front, this is if you're standing out, out on Oxford Valley Road, looking at the church in this direction. Really, the only big difference from the front side is this section here. You notice that roof is kind of beige brown? That, anything under the beige is new construction. So that knocks out the auditorium. So that's this wall right here gets knocked out as the auditorium goes out that direction. This here is the back of a brand new building. Right now, we have the portable classrooms are sitting here. They will stay through, the, through this, we're keeping those. But on the other side of the portables, you have a large building that gets attached to the back of the building. Here you can see the back side of it. So that's what it looks like from Oxford Valley Road. Now, the back of the church. If you were standing in the back parking lot looking towards the church, this is what you're going to see. All of this underneath the brown roof is all new construction 
on the back of the church. Um, this door right here is the doorway that takes you into where the church offices and the library are located. Um, that takes you in here and basically th these windows are all added on, but that's what the, will look like from the outside. Now you say, okay, what's the floor plan? This is the upstairs of the building. The sections in blue are all new construction. So this is all new up here. And what you're, what you're going to see that we, we call this inside our, what we were just referring to this, is the wing plan design. Because we're taking a rectangular auditorium and putting wings on it. So that wall gets knocked out and that wall gets knocked out and the auditorium gets expanded in both directions. Uh, you'll see that right now, and let's go to the lobby. This is our current lobby right here. Now, you'll notice here's the elevator. This is the kitchen right now. And this is the wood side room right here. You'll notice that those rooms get completely knocked out and it gives us one large expanded lobby. Then when you go beyond the lobby, by the way, this is a stairwell that takes you from downstairs, right now where the library is downstairs, you can have a stairwell that takes you right upstairs into the new lobby. Then if you were to walk beyond this lobby and go towards what we're calling the cafe here, that's a partial wall. And on the other side of it, you have a, a cafe. It has some benches in there for seating, some round tables, a serving area here. And the cafe, and this is one of the things, this is going to be a great room for ministry. It's going to be attractive, probably like ceramic tile, but a great room during the week for Bible studies. Um, we'll, get, we'll put AV in there, so it gives us one more meeting space for groups to meet. Um, then you have a brand new kitchen. This little funky thing here is, that's going to be the new pantry, but that's a new kitchen. Um, for those of you who set up chairs, you can be thankful. There's a new chair closet for where we're going to put an extra 100 chairs. Well, right there. This is the large meeting room that we gain. So this room, it's, it's, we don't have, this space is not developed yet. It's on the other side of the Woodside room going out into that grassy area between the portable classroom and the back parking lot. But that'll hold over 100 people. And that room will be used on like Tuesday nights for the youth group, Wednesday nights for kids clubs, um, probably mops. Um, the Forge on Friday night, any gathering, whether whatever the age, where we have needs for a room with more than 40 people in it. So that's the upstairs. The downstairs, you'll see here that what we do, this is all the new construction in blue that goes off towards the back. Um, you'll see here that in the lobby, well, this, this is the doorway right now that you come in downstairs to get to where the offices are. I, I did mention that's on, a, that's on a slant for a reason. Um, there was some columns in the way, and it would have cost us like tens of thousands of dollars to have a straight doorway. So the architect said, I can make that look really attractive, and we just put it on a slant, and it will save you tens of thousands of dollars. So he said, give us a slanted doorway. <laughs> so um, what we did down here, here's a stairwell that comes in. Um, and in the downstairs, Pastor John's office, if you've ever been there, sits right here right now, where this circular welcoming center is. And this whole area right now is office space all in here. So if you've ever tried to check your kids in downstairs, it is crazy. This is now going to be a hallway 12 feet wider than what we have right now for that children's check-in area. And for those of you who have kids, this wall is where the computers are to check your kids in. Come around here. This is a welcome center that will be staffed for Sunday mornings. And what we're going to do is prevent adults from going beyond this point here for security reasons for children. Because this, this door up here, I mean, Tom might not be catching this one, but this door right here is an exit-only door. So for fire code reasons and that, people can get out, but you can't get in. And that way, kids get checked in, they come down here, oops, this, bear with me, hit the wrong button. There we go. Um, you'll see down here that the kids now are very secure in this whole area right in here. And, um, and what we've done is we've given children's ministries now two big new classrooms right up here. And what used to be office space down here is now the toddler nursery. And the infant nursery has moved, well, it's still, it actually is there now, but this back part becomes infant nursery as well. And then this classroom, it used to go across this way, but now it's going to run this way and here's a classroom here. And then this is a new office area over here for the staff offices. So that gives you a little bit of an overview. I want to stress something. There's informational meetings that we're putting on. Um, I've been doing a lot of these. Pastor John's done a couple. 
um, all of our small groups, we're coming into the small groups to share about this project. We're giving more details, more information, information that you really need uh, as some part of our church. It's important to get, and the interaction has been phenomenal. So if you are not in a small group, I'm going to put the dates up a little later for the informational meetings. Please attend one. If your small group has done theirs and you missed it, please attend one. If you're in a small group, you don't have to go to one of the informational meetings because it's a repeat of what you've already heard. But I want to just give a summary of advancing the gospel. The total project cost $3.25 million. Now, you're going to hear a motion from the Board of Elders that we're going to vote on on May 3rd. And in it, the Board of Elders is asking for approval to spend up to $3.5 million. Have you guys ever renovated anything in your house? Has it all the time, have you met the price that they told you up front? So we don't want to have to come back if it's like another, another $70,000 because of whatever comes that they find um, and then have to have another congregational meeting. So even though we plan on spending under three and a quarter, we're going to ask for permission to spend up to three and a half with the goal of raising $1.9 million in two years. That sounds like a lot of money. If you want to know how we, you know, a little more background on that, come to one of the information sessions. We can unpack that a lot more in those sessions. But we believe that that is a very doable number for Bible Fellowship Church. 10% um, of the money, of the funds that were donated, not of the total project cost, but of the money given by our people, 10% of it, if we raise $1.9 it's $190,000, is going to go to ministry beyond the walls of our church. A combination of finishing out two more years with the community center we helped establish in Peru, training pastors in Africa, as well as what we're calling urban ministry. Whether it's in Trenton with this church plant or what we're already doing down in Kensington, and the Board of Elders will then distribute that money um, in a way that we want to have a great impact on the kingdom of God. Our commitment to that is if we're going to expand here on this site, we want to be touching the world for Jesus Christ. And it's a commitment that we really want to hold to. And a lot of people are excited that we're doing that. And, and I think it's a, a significant statement of what missions means to this church. Um, this is important. We're having a prayer gathering next Sunday night, April 26th, in this room at 6.30. Please come out. We have been praying as leaders for this, but prayer has to be essential, foundational, if we're taking this step of faith. And um, Tom's going to just share with you about a local church that's experienced some um, spiritual warfare already. Satan is not going to be happy that we're taking a significant step of faith of planning a church, training pastors in Africa, expanding the facility and our means of making disciples. We need to be praying as we do this. Information sessions. Um, one of them is tomorrow night, Monday night, um, 7 o'clock, here at the church. Um, next Sunday, we're going to hold one in the morning. Um, and then Thursday, April 30th at 7, and Sunday, May 3rd at 11 a.m., Please, if you're not in a small group again, these are the meetings that we want you to attend. Um, congregational vote is coming up on May the 3rd, right after the second service. If you're a member, please be there. We need you to vote. We cannot proceed with advancing the gospel without congregation approval, so we need membership vote for that. Um, and then we're going to ask you to fill out what's called an intention card. Um, I, I forgot to say this at the first service, so spread the word. Um, you're going to get a letter in the mail. It's being mailed tomorrow. And they're going out to everyone's homes if you're on our mailing list. And there's going to be a cover letter. There's going to be a, a newsletter that talks about giving and how to fill out an intention card. And then there's going to be an intention card with an envelope in it. We're asking people to fill that out. Other churches, if you've been through one of these before where people, the church needs to raise money, sometimes they call them pledge cards or commitment cards. We didn't like the word pledge because it sounds like, man, I'm making this pledge before God. And if something changes, what if I lose my job in six months? What if something happens? Now I've made this oath to God. Well, we toned it down, and we're calling it an intention card so that you, and you know, here's another thing. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Don't fill it out by yourself. Um, or we're going to be doing a lot of marriage counseling in the next couple months. Um, we want you to pray about it, fill it out together, put the card into the sealed envelope, and bring them back on May the 17th. We're going to collect them on a sun, in a Sunday morning service. And it basically says, I intend to give X dollars to advancing the gospel over the next two years. 
The reason we need it is for planning purposes. If we come up with $2.2 million, wouldn't that be awesome? But it would help the leadership know, and as we make decisions, compared to what if it's $1.2 million? It's just a barometer for us as we make decisions and do planning. So we need that. That's what the intention cards are. Um, so that's coming up. And as we go through this, God has asked churches over the years to step up and do things for the, for the cause of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it was the church. You can think back to what happened with raising the tabernacle and all that came with the tabernacle. And then we had under Solomon, you had the temple. Then in the, in the book of Acts, you had the establishment of the church. These were major undertakings and endeavors for the church and for the nation of Israel to gather together the people of God to accomplish a purpose. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is taking on a project of raising funds for a very impoverished region in Jerusalem, and he's asking the entire church body throughout the region to do this. And we're going to be preaching through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And what I really want to encourage all of us, we're using a biblical model as we go forward and take on this project as a church. That's why we want to preach through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because we want Scripture to be our guide. We want it to be bathed in prayer, and we want the Spirit of God to be leading this. So pray for us. Tom's going to now start out, and then I'll wrap up as we look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Thanks a lot, Bob. If you have your Bible and you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapters, chapter 8, our ushers will come if you're visiting with us. I want to welcome you, and please feel free, raise your hand, we'll give you a Bible. And I want you to know, we felt that this was important and necessary to really give you an overview today, and I really appreciate Bob's leadership. Don't want you to skip out the next few weeks. We, we'll give more time to the word by far normally, but this was important to look at this. And I want you to think about this, because because of people who are taking advantage of Christianity as a way to make money, Creflo Dollar trying to get a, a, a personal jet for millions of dollars, as soon as Christians hear about money, they roll their eyes. But I can tell you something. When Jesus Christ was on earth, and he was calling people to himself. And he was inviting them to repent and to be forgiven. He talked a lot about money. And I assure you, the disciples didn't roll their eyes and go, oh boy, here goes Jesus talking about money. Because what you do about your, with your money is a real indicator of what's going on in your heart. And Jesus made some really profound statements about the connection between our, our heart and our relationship to God. So don't check your brains out here because part of being a disciple is to not go, well, we don't talk about money because being a follower of Christ, you've got to talk about money. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm excited. This is a great passage because it gives us a framework of it's, it's not unbiblical for spiritual leaders to get a passion to, to, to have a specific project and then to invite Christians to be a part of that. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to actually ask Dean, could you put the map up first? I want to show you a map because there's a brief background here that will help us to understand what's going on. No, they weren't having an advancing the gospel building campaign, but Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. And when he was writing to them, Paul had a vision that God wanted all the Gentile churches in all of the world to collect money to give to the Christians in Judea. The Christians in Judea were suffering two things. Number one, there was a big famine, and so there was a shortage of food. But secondly, the Christians in Judea were being persecuted. So they were really struggling. They couldn't get jobs. They were being ostracized. They needed other Christians to support them. So wherever Paul went, he always talked about this campaign to raise support for the church of Judea. The Corinthian church, when they heard about it, had promised that they wanted to be a part of that. Unfortunately, they made their promise. Bob, do you have a, 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 the other thing there? Oh, actually, it's working again. They made their promise. They just didn't follow through on it. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and God inspires the scriptures and says, <clears throat> here's things that we need to learn as Christians about money. Now, here's what happened. This area is called Macedonia, and this area is called Achaia. We read the book of Philippians, that's in Macedonia. Book of Thessalonica, or Thessalonians, that's in Macedonia. Paul's writing the Corinthians. The Corinthians are down here in Achaia. 
So this chapter is going to begin, and he's going to say this. He goes, I want to tell you what happened up here in Macedonia. He says, these people are really poor. This would be like inner city Trenton, really people who didn't have much. But these churches raised an enormous amount of money for the poor in Judea. And that blew Paul away. He wasn't expecting that. So he starts off this section writing to this church and saying, I want to tell you about these people. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the generosity of the Macedonians, the poor. And the, the first point that we're going to learn is that it's God's grace that inspires giving. And we're going to read the first four verses, and then we'll pray together. So, so knowing that, think about what Paul says. He says, now brethren, we want to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, why doesn't he just say, I want to tell you about the, f- the money that the Macedonians gave? Because we're learning that it's the grace of God that inspires people to give. Well, the Corinthians were like, well, what'd they do? He says, well, let me tell you, that in a great ordeal of affliction, because they were being persecuted, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, they were really poor, it overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They hardly had anything but it overflowed. They were so excited about the Lord. And you're like, well, I'll, I'll bet I know what happened. I'll bet Paul had to beg them to give. I'll bet you had to shame them and guilt them into giving. No, quite the opposite. Look at this. Keep, we'll go to the next slide. So verse 3 says, this is Paul talking. I testify. I think my battery's at. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. Now notice, it was of their own accord. Paul wasn't waiting at the, at the gate with a, with a set of shears saying, I'm going to fleece you sheep. Give, give. The poor people have to live. It was totally from their own heart. Now watch this. Paul says, they were begging us. When was the last time you heard of Christians begging to give? We, we, we picture people begging Christians to give. Paul says, they begged us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. Paul goes, now think about that. And this is what he says. It's all the grace of God. So the first thing I want us to talk about is how the grace of God is what inspires us to become generous. So let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage and as we think about what you're doing in this church, we want you to pour out the grace of God upon our congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say some things about the grace of God, and if you have a pen, I really urge you to write these down. Everything I say is copyright. Copy it right down. I'm going to give a bunch of verses, and the dullest pencil will be better than the sharpest memory, but the grace of God, that word, if you don't get this, you can't enter into Christianity because that's the gate into Christianity is grace, okay? So I want to mention some things real quick about the grace of God. Number one, the grace of God is how you get saved. The grace of God is how you have a relationship with God. Well, what is grace? The word grace means this. It's something that's freely given that you don't deserve, okay? Freely given that you don't deserve. So when your boss gives you your paycheck, that's not grace, okay? Well, actually, the way I've seen some of your work, it might be. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But grace is the opposite of what you work for, okay? Now, this is so important because so few people... Satan has most of America believing that a relationship with God is something you earn, right? You don't earn a relationship with God. There's no one who'll ever get to heaven by their works. The Apostle Paul told us this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace, we are saved through faith. So you come to God and you don't go, God, I think you should let me into heaven because I'm a good person. You'll never get in. You come to God and you go, God, I don't deserve to go to heaven. If I'm going to go to heaven, it's got to be your grace. And it's all centered right here in the cross because that's where God displayed his grace. Look at chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. It's the grace of Jesus. So when people sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. If you're here today and you're wondering, would God let me into heaven? Am I good enough? The answer is, no, you're not good enough. And until you get rid of that idea that you think you're good enough, you'll never get into heaven. 
But if you come to God and you accept his undeserved grace, now we're talking. Because the Bible says it is by the grace of the Lord Jesus that we're saved. And you're like, well, Pastor, I don't deserve that. If you knew what I did, God couldn't accept me. I, I've done this and this. That's the point of grace. It's not what you deserve. The grace of the Lord Jesus saves you. Unfortunately, and this is where I think a lot of Christians stop. They go, okay, that's it. That's grace. And I go, no, no. That's just the opening. Grace from God is far more than just saving grace. So I want you to think about this. God's grace not only saves us, okay? Think of grace as this huge storehouse, unlimited favor and undeserved blessing that God wants to pour out on us. It starts with salvation, right? But then, as soon as you become a Christian, the second thing God's grace does <clears throat> is it equips you to serve him. The apostle Paul said, in Romans 1 verse 5, he said, I have received grace from God so that I can bring about obedience of faith among people. If you're a Christian, God has given you grace into your life. He's freely poured it out. And that grace is what's going to work through you to do ministry. There's tons of verses on this. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace that he's given to us. So God freely poured out upon you special gifts. Paul said to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, I thank God for the grace that he has given you to enrich you. So think about this. There's some energy and giftedness inside of you that God has put there that he wants to unleash his grace. And you will serve him as his grace equips you to do that. He never tells you to do something, and then he doesn't help you to do it. He gives you the desire and the grace. So, his grace saves us, it equips us. The third thing God's grace does is it strengthens us and sustains us, right? If you want to try following Christ, you'll learn quickly Satan hates that. You will learn quickly that when you, when you ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you by his grace and you become a Christian, Satan wants to make it hard for you. He'll do everything he can to discourage you. He'll want you to make you mad, sad. He'll want you to feel had. He'll want you to quit. In fact, sometimes he does unbelievable things. I just learned this today. Some of you know that Grace Point has a church plant down in Levittown, the old evangelical press. Somebody last night burned the outside of the building. They burned the cross, they broke the window, and they threw an accelerant into the building to try to burn the building down, okay? Satan hates when Christians try to follow him, and he wants you to stop, and he will tempt you, and he will discourage you, and he will tell you that you can't change. How are you going to get past that? It's only by God's grace. So today, this morning, you probably have things in your life that you don't want there. Why do I have marriage problems? Why do I have problems with my kids? Why do I have health problems? Why do I struggle with this sin? And we always say to God, take it away, heal me, fix it. And what we have to learn is God doesn't always take away our problems. Instead, this is what he does. The Apostle Paul said, you should memorize this verse. It's a great verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The Apostle Paul asked the Lord to take away his painful situation, but the Lord said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power will be made perfect in your weakness. So whatever you're struggling with, when Paul wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he knew that Timothy was struggling. And he didn't say, suck it up, cowboy. It's a tough world out there. 2 Timothy 2.1, he said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So God's got all this free power and strength up there in heaven. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, so draw near to him and he will give you grace to help you. So don't just think grace is like, okay, here's your hell insurance, you're saved by grace. Just go do whatever you want. You're like, Lord, I'm struggling. He goes, I know you're struggling and I've got grace to help you. So slow down, get on your knees, and believe me, and pray, and I will give you grace that will help you. So his grace saves us, it equips us, it sustains us. The third thing is it does is it sanctifies us. Grace changes people. See, there's a danger when people hear about grace. You mean God will forgive me for free? I don't have to earn it? No, it's absolutely free. Woohoo! Now I can sin like crazy because I'm saved by grace. Jude warns against that. The book of Jude says, be careful of people who twist the grace of God into wild living. 
These are people who go, oh yeah, preacher, I, I went to church, I got saved by grace. Oh, I gotta go, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend now. I'm gonna go smoke some weed and get high. You're like, wait a minute, I thought you got saved by grace. I am. It's all forgiven. Titus 2 says this in verse 14. The grace of God has brought salvation to us. And then it teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to deny worldly lusts. It teaches us to live sober and righteous as we wait for the appearance of Jesus. So don't let anybody tell you grace doesn't mean that God doesn't want to change you, okay? And let's not twist grace. When you get grace, when you understand because of that cross, I'm totally forgiven and Jesus is going to accept me in heaven, that doesn't make me want to run out and sin. Does that make you want to run out and sin? You don't get it. It makes you more and more want to love Jesus and say, I want to serve my Savior because his grace is teaching me. But the final thing here, and this is what Paul's saying in this passage, instead of saying, hey, let me tell you about the Macedonians, how much they gave, he said, let me tell you about the grace of God that was poured out on the Macedonian churches. And whatever's going to happen here in our church, it's going to be the grace of God, right? I'm excited. I think we're going to far exceed what we're talking about here because it's not about us. It's about the grace of God. That's why we're having a prayer meeting. God, pour out your grace on us. Why? So we can boast? No, because God loves to give grace. And so that this, this kind of grace is a special energy, a special inspiration to do special things for God. And it's very personal. The Bible says God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's how God works. He just, he inspires you. Something goes on inside of you and, and you want to freely do things for God. So pray that God's grace will work in your heart and that it will stir up inside of you whatever he wants you to do. You don't have to work yourself. This isn't, a, this isn't an Amway thing. Come on, people, you can do it. This is grace. We read in the Bible, there's a great story in the Old Testament. God stirred up the people to give to the tabernacle. Moses had to tell them to stop. You've given too much. That's enough. Stop giving, right? So when grace touches people, they beg to give. You don't have to beg them to give. When they fall in love with the man of sorrows, it just flows. And that's how God's grace works. And his grace doesn't just inspire us to give. It inspires us to serve. So the second point is found in verse 5, and then Bob's going to come and wrap us up. But look at verse 5. When Paul thinks about the grace of God that inspires the Macedonians, he goes, man, that wasn't what I saw coming. He goes, this was not as we expected because they were poor. He's like, poor people aren't going to give. He says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So the second point I want you to see here is that generosity begins with giving yourself to the Lord. You're like, I wish this preacher would get done. Fine, I'll write him a check. What does he need? Let's get this over with. Uh-uh. In fact, you know what God wants in the offering plate? You. And if you think you can just throw a little check in there, no matter how big it is, if you don't give yourself to the Lord, it's meaningless. It's hypocrisy. God says, I hate that kind of stuff. Well, what would it look like to give yourself to the Lord? Well, first of all, somebody came up with this crazy idea that being a Christian the only thing Jesus died for was to set you free to do your thing. Just go live for yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. Listen to this verse. Jesus died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. See, so if all, I, if all I read is, Jesus died to save me by grace. Yeah, but that's not it. That's not the only thing he died for. He died so that you would no longer live for yourself. Now, listen, when my TV goes out, it has a default, right? It goes back and reprograms. We all have a default because of Adam's sin nature. It's called selfishness, right? No one has to teach you how to be selfish, right? You don't have to give little kids training. Here's what to do when mom says to share. <clears throat> Here's how you do it. Go like this. <clears throat> That's as natural as can be. <laughs> Sinners are selfish, and we're all selfish. And Jesus died for us that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. 
And that's a daily thing. Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross daily. And we're learning how to do that. But you know, in American Christianity, there's this, there's this individualism that says, yeah, fine, I gave myself to Jesus, but ain't nobody else gonna tell me what to do. Let's go back to that text real quick and then Bob's coming. Look, look at this. It says, they gave themselves to the Lord. They presented themselves to Jesus as a living sacrifice. Whatever you want, Lord. Do you want me to change jobs? Do you want me to move? Do you want me to not get married? You can't go, Lord, do you want me to get unmarried? No, that, he doesn't want you to do that. So, so but, but then it says this, they gave themselves to us. What'd that look like? They walked up to Paul and they said, Paul, you're our spiritual leader. What should we do? Wait, people do that? Yeah, I know what you're thinking, Pastor Tom. You're going to have us drink the Kool-Aid, right? You're going to say, don't, just give us your checkbook and don't listen, you know. No, but listen, if you're going to give yourself to the Lord, it's not a free will and do it your thing. So this point was this. Generosity begins with giving yourself to the Lord and then to your local church. You're like, what do you mean give yourself to your local church? Did you know the Bible says this in Hebrews 13? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. And listen, I don't have an ax to grind here. Bob and I will both tell you, we are thrilled with this church. I brag about this church. Guy came here when he was teaching Gateway, you know, and he says, we try to get at least two people from each church to do Gateway, this year-long study. We got 20-some people. We open up a, a, a training, how to share the gospel. 170 people come, Right? But what a joy it is if every person who's a part of this fellowship and God's pouring out his grace is first saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then, then within the church saying, leaders, show us, show us what, what we should be doing, okay? We're not dictators up here bossing you around, but, but Christians are like, oh, I can worship God on the deer stand. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. I go to all different churches. That's not biblical. It's biblical to become part of a church community and work together with your church. So I want to encourage you this morning to consider that God has been so good to us. The grace of Jesus saved us. The grace of Jesus is inspiring us. And the grace of God is teaching me that generosity reminds me that this morning I want to give myself to Jesus. Lord, show me how to live for you. And then I want to give myself to this church. Lord, show me how I can get involved. And then Bob's going to share our last point. One of the things Tom said, and I, I totally agree with this, when he mentioned the fact about um, just being thrilled with this church, it amazes me what God has put here at this church. I, I'm reading a book right now that's talking about, it's called A Pastor's Justification, and it just says it's so many pastors kind of dream of shepherding the church that they want, rather than dreaming about shepherding the church that God gave them. And you know what? We have an amazing church family here at this church. And I really believe Paul was working with Corinthians, um, Christians in Corinth, trying to get them to rally together to accomplish something for the cause of God. And I really believe when I know the people that are here at this church that we can come together as a church family and not us do great things, but us to surrender ourselves to God to allow him to do great things through us. Final point that I want to make, um, I want to just lead into it by showing you this. On this brochure, there's a picture of a tree on this brochure. Um, that, that tree is in my backyard. Now, the problem was, I was going to take a picture of it and use it on the screen today, but it's only, you know, April whatever, this 19th, and there's no leaves on the tree, and it would have defeated the purpose. It's a Japanese maple. It's two Japanese maples that have been grafted together into one. And when this tree blooms, throughout the year then, well, at least for like seven or eight months, half of the tree, the leaves are green, the other half, the, tree, the leaves of the tree are red. And when you look closely, you can see that it's two trees in one, but from a distance, it looks like one tree. And I want us to remember something. That grafting represents two things that help us remember. One is the mission statement of our church. What is it? Advancing the gospel, making disciples. See, we have two components in our mission statement, but one unified statement that we need to be carrying out as individuals and collectively. Secondly, that grafting of that tree can represent your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as you, what does John chapter 15 tell us? Who is the vine? Jesus. Jesus. We're the branches. And you see, 
Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And you see, when we are finding our spiritual nourishment, our strength in the vine, in Jesus Christ, that's what discipleship is all about. That's why we chose this imagery of the tree to represent, yes, our mission statement, but also it is all about Jesus Christ in us and us finding our strength and direction from him. There's one statement that we put in this brochure as well. It's the page with all these leaves. By the way, these leaves, these are all the different places Bible Fellowship Church has met over the years, one in each of the leaves. And underneath it, there's a statement. For over 30 years, Bible Fellowship has faithfully proclaimed the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. Our preaching points to him. Our faith is fixed on him. Our mission centers on him. See, as a church, it's all about Jesus Christ. This is his church. It's not ours. Now, as we continue in 2 Corinthians, I just want to go to the last point. And what, what Paul shows us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, is that giving is a vital part of discipleship. You see, we cannot be disciples of Jesus Christ if we are not living generously. And generosity goes way beyond our finances. But listen to how Paul closes one section in verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Listen to the word that Paul used there. He used the word abound. He didn't say just as you possess everything or you have everything. What does Paul say? As you abound in everything. And now Paul goes on and he lists the characteristics of a disciple. He lists first faith. Man, we all know faith is important, isn't it? There's the saving faith. It's the act of recognizing, God, I am trusting you for the forgiveness of my sins. I am trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. And through that, we now become a disciple of Jesus Christ and a child of God. But then there's the ongoing faith that as we as disciples live our lives, we are trusting God. It's faith in God and saying, you know, God, I'm not trusting in my own strength, my own efforts, or anything I can do. Every day as I follow Jesus Christ, my faith is in you. Because just like in John 15, abide with the vine and the branches, I can do nothing apart from God. He goes on and he lists now, the next word he says is utterance. The, um, the ESV Bible translation translate that as speech. And what he's saying here, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, let your speech be something that others recognize that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, in our speech, we can declare the gospel, can't we? We can share the good news. In our speech, we can build others up and we can teach the principles of the Christian life. We can teach the word of God. So in your speech, always be pointing other people to Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what Paul's saying a disciple does. He goes on now and he says knowledge. He's not here talking about head knowledge. He's, what, he's not talking about so you know, you know, your trigonometry or advanced physics. What he's talking about here is, is knowledge and understanding of the word of God. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are familiar with God's word. And you're allowing God's word to shape you and change you. And that knowledge... As you know God's word, it helps you get to know God himself. And then Paul says, and in all earnestness. Be serious about this. Be passionate about it. Christianity is not something that you do, well, you know, yeah, this night of the week, you know, I go to the gym, and this night of the week I go here, and yeah, in church I do, I do that on Sunday. Christianity should define who you are because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do it with earnestness. And then he goes on and he says, and in the love. Talk about love. God himself says God is love. We see in the Bible where it says that we should possess faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is which? Love. Love. Right? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be identified by our love. I mentioned that generosity is more than just our finances. Generosity is how we live and how we meet the needs of other people. A generous disciple meets needs. So you see someone who's hurting, maybe it's your next door neighbor, has cancer, whatever they may have, and all of a sudden, you, can you go over and take a meal? Can you help watch their kids? Can you give a ride to the hospital? Can you, there's so many ways, there's so many people, a disciple of Jesus Christ is loving, but then Paul finishes it this way, 
see that you abound in this gracious work also. He's talking about giving. You see, as a Christian disciple, Christians are generous in their giving. And as churches, you know, we, we shy away from talking about money. And in reality, we shouldn't. Because God marks it as an identifying mark of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ is generous with the things that God has given him. And you know what? Generosity does not come easily. It doesn't come easy to me. And probably doesn't come easy to you either. There are so many things in our mind that we think, boy, I could do this with that money. Or I could be doing this with my time. Or I could be doing this. And what we're focusing on, we're focusing on this world, aren't we, when we do those things. And this is what I want to, I just, actually, there was a Christian saint in the past who defined materialism. And what's materialism? It's using the resources and material things for our own pleasure rather than for the kingdom of God. And he said this about materialism. He said, it's the stupid philosophy that we invest everything into some things that will one day become nothing. You see, what God wants us to be focusing on is the things of etern eternity and the things that are going to have lasting value. And that's Christ and his kingdom and the people that he loves. And that's where our time needs to go. I'm going to kind of wrap us up here, but one of the things before I do that, I want to raise this up. These are in the literature racks. We didn't hand these out because they're expensive. And um, <laughs> that's a truthful statement. Um, what, you know, if you're not going to use it, we didn't want to give out hundreds and hundreds of them. But if you would like, it's a 20-day study on stewardship. And it's personal, so you can go through. And it teaches biblical principles on stewardship. It's a great resource. They're in the literature racks in the lobby. They're around the church. If you've ever heard of Tim Keller, I need to give credit where credit is due. Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. They did a ministry expansion project, expanding their facilities and campuses and wrote this material. We called Redeemer Press. We got the right to copyright it. Tracy Stokes designed a cover for it, reprinted the inside with a nice design, and we did give them credit in the book, but it's a great resource for you. And I encourage, I hope all of you pick one up and go through it. But as I close, let me say this. Sacrificial giving is very important to the Christian life, but it's not the most important thing. God gave us the most sacrificial gift that was ever given in His Son, Jesus Christ. We as a church are not concerned about your money. God is, we're not. But you know what we're concerned about and what God ultimately is concerned about is your salvation. And as we embark on this project and in this preaching series, if you are here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's the first step that you need to take. I'm going to close this, our sermon, our series, I mean this um, service this morning in prayer. But what I want to ask, if you have never trusted Christ, please do so today. Because if you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the first step is salvation. Trusting in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and coming into the kingdom of God. If you've never done that, when I close in prayer, I want you to say the words that I pray at the appropriate time when I say so, and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to help you to be, and tr transform you into a child of God. And if you take that step, we would love to talk with you. But that is the most important thing, because when we talk about expanding the ministries, we're doing it all because of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here as a church family to, to look to the future, to talk about expanding the ministries that you have called us to. Father, we think about the lives that are going to be changed in the years and years ahead. God, you have done a great work through Bible Fellowship Church for well over 30 years now. People have come to know you as Savior. People have grown in their walk with you. Missionaries have been sent out. And Lord, we thank you for that legacy, and I pray that as we embark on something new today, Lord, that you would lead us in this. Father, help us to make a significant impact upon the kingdom of God as we carry out your ministry faithfully for you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you as Savior, that you would draw them to you. Father, help them to recognize their need for you and help them to come to you for the forgiveness of their sins. And if that is you this morning, I pray, ask that you would just pray these words. Father, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I have been living for myself. 
I also realize that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Father, forgive my sins and make me a child of God. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to grow through this step of faith that we're taking. Lord, we're stepping out in obedience. Your leadership of this church recognized, Lord, that you're calling us to do something. And Lord, we're taking this step and I pray that you would lead us and guide us in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now in the grace of God, we send you out to make a difference on this world and continue worshiping throughout this day. Amen.